Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really excited about today's episode. I was joined by Misha Zarens, the producer of the Walk Show, and Chris Crabtree, uh, who previously joined the show to talk about Total War Three Kingdoms. The three of us are lifelong Tool fans, and Tool is our, our favorite band, I would say, of all time. Tool has just recently announced a new tour, and we're actually going to see them this week uh, in concert. Really, really excited about it, so we wanted to kind of jump on and talk about our love of Tool and, and talk about all the different things that, that we uh, just find so great about it. Anyway, we had a ton of fun recording the episode. Hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, today's show is produced, the music and artwork by Misha Zarens. Hey guys, uh, super excited to talk to you today. We have some really interesting and, and exciting news. Tool is going back on tour uh, starting, I think, in early May. Woo-hoo! That's when we're <laughs> going to see them. So on the show today, uh, we have two guests, which is a first for the show. Uh, both of them you have heard before, though. Uh, the first guest we have is the producer, artist, and musician for the Walk Show podcast. And that is Misha Zarens. Hey, what's up? And then the other guest you are also familiar with, he joined me on the podcast where we talked about uh, Total War Three Kingdoms, that PC strategy game, Chris Crabtree. Howdy. Thank you guys for joining. Uh, so yeah, we just I just found out on like earlier this week that Tool was going on tour. Like I've heard rumors that an album's going to drop between May, July time frame, but... Right. Depending it's, on whose tweet you go for. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's been 13 years since an album came out, <laughs> and that rumor didn't just come around for the first time right. this year. Right. So I didn't buy it because I just quit caring a long time ago because whatever. Uh, but now I believe it because the tour aligns exactly with that time frame, and right. the new album supposedly has been in the works for 13 years. So, yeah. or whatever. And now supposedly in mastering. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think which, is, which is the final stages of producing an album yeah. mastering. Do you think we'll get it before the, the show? In so Louis? I think we were talking about that, Walker, last night briefly, like off mic. Uh, I think so, because it would be really weird for them to... They generally generate their set list pretty early, because Maynard likes to tailor the set list according to what his vocals can work with. You know, he's, he's obviously a, a kind of an older person. He's in his 50s. So he doesn't like to strain his vocals across a lot of different songs. You know, like there's there's some songs he's, he sings really soft and other songs he like screams. So they don't consistently play those songs. So they orchestrate their their set list around what the band feels comfortable to do and specifically what he can sing. So it would make sense that they actually orchestrate their set list around songs that they're going to predetermine ahead of time. So they wouldn't just change it. They wouldn't drop the album halfway through the tour and then just start playing those songs. And it would mm-hmm. be weird, maybe, I don't know, for them to like just start playing those songs before the actual album had dropped and then still drop it halfway in between. You right, know what I mean? right. Because like, the, the audience still expects like all the hits and all the singles to be played. I don't know. I mean, in previous, you know, I've watched a lot of live shows uh, on YouTube of Tool concerts, and not not a the, the set list definitely wasn't a full album, um, or the, the set the set list wasn't just all new stuff that hadn't been released. 
But they definitely have played stuff before it's been on an album. Like there's stuff from the early nineties oh, yeah. where their 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 primary set list is opiate tracks, yeah. but they're playing stuff from Undertow, but it's before Undertow's out. No, yeah, opiate yeah, and Undertow yeah. being their first two albums. So it's possible that they could that the album doesn't come out before we see them, but that they're still playing the same set list that they will play even after it comes out that includes yep. album tracks. Right. I hope though that it is all new. Yeah. Yeah. And when we mm. saw them in 2006, mm. which I don't think that you didn't go to that one with us, but you were there. You were just yeah. one of the different people. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. But yeah, in 2006, that that was right on right after 10,000 Days came yeah. out. And that was all ten thousand days. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know if they played. Maybe they played forty six and two. Well, they played Lateralis. Yeah. Song. Okay. Yeah. There was like a few in there, but yeah, it was mostly show, ten thousand days. Feet, yeah. The white panels. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of remember yeah. that. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, as you can probably tell from our gushing, all of us super stoked, super excited. <laughs> Misha super went to boy. the venue yesterday, got tickets for us, so it is in the bag. We are going. Yeah. Um, Skipped uh, the internet resellers. Oh God. Tried to. But so, so like old school. So to kind of back up a little bit, you know, those the listeners that know us are, are familiar with our love for Tool and, and at least have some idea of what it is because we've at some point or another forced you to listen to at least one song. Um, but for anyone that's not super familiar with it, Tool's been around since the early '90s, so you've probably heard of it. Um, but I think there's a really big common misconception about what kind of music Tool is. People think of Tool as this like heavy metal headbanger thing. If if you've not listened to it, it gets lumped into that category. I hear metal a lot. Yeah. 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 And and it has elements of that, so I don't think that it's necessarily unfair because whatever. No one has time to memorize a hundred different music genre <laughs> niches. You know what I mean? So that's fine. It is hard rock, it is metal, but it is nothing. <laughs> nothing like Metallica or Megadeth. Or Five Finger Death Punch, or Nickelback, or whatever weird Portuguese death metal that you listen to, or right. whatever. It it it's it's just wildly different than all of that. And I don't know of anything that sounds anything like it. Like having listened to it as much as I have, which is enormous, it, it just there's nothing else that sounds like Tool. Like kind of like McDonald's tastes like McDonald's, not a hamburger. Tool sounds like Tool, not mm -hmm. heavy metal. Yeah. Mm. Well, and I don't want to speak for both of you, but I think that I probably listen to more like hard rock than you guys do, mm -hmm. and yeah, I still I probably don't listen to that much hard rock, like really at all. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. So it's weird describing Tool as a fanboy to somebody else that does like them because they generally like jump on the bandwagon of like, oh man, well, you probably love like Slayer, and you probably love like, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Megadeth and you know Nine Inch Nails. That's the that's the huge comparison. Yes. I love Tool. I love Nine Inch Nails. They're amazing. I was like, where did you get that? It's like, I don't like Nine Inch Nails. Actually. Sorry, like right. respect them, but I've just never been a fan of their music. And that's just a big misconception. I think about how the three of us really approach music and that we like and that we like a standard of quality and something that just kind of speaks to us directly. And that is something that we like, not, Oh, it's this blanketed genre. So I'm just going to subscribe to it. Like, I don't think any of us mm -hmm. really yeah. do that. And I mean, with, with 
rap or with electronic or anything. Like, it's not just like, well, I really like that genre. So anything that's in there, like, I'll just go ahead. Yeah, I love yeah. Tupac, but I don't love everything from the 90s. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Same thing. Yeah, I mean, so Crabtree and I, you know, you definitely, you introduced us to Tool back when we were 19 or 20 years old. But Crabtree and I had, you know, I listened to more rock than, than he did. Um, but both of us primarily listened to, like, rap, R&B, hip-hop pop music in general. Um, and we so have, we have some bad tastes. I will vouch for mine being the worst though. Like just, cause I, 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 I had a Nickelback album. Uh, I had a yeah. biscuit album. I Couple. also had that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And Lincoln Park. <gasps> but when I listened to Lincoln Park, I thought I was being like eccentric. Like I thought right. that was me right. really flexing my like, yeah, I'm into art rock. <laughs> Because I listened to Linkin Park, you know what I mean? Because it wasn't Nickelback. Right. So I was like, yeah, I listened to normal stuff, but then I also listened to, like, really deep stuff. So fucking get out of here. I think the uh, R&B covered was, uh, like, Cisco. Yeah. Yeah. Next. Oh, my God. Wifey from Next. Next, yeah. Yeah. That's what I remember the most for some reason. I do have Boys to Men on my belt, too. Yep. Oh, yeah. Dude, I had a a Monica. Oh, Monica. Yeah. Yeah. New edition. Had a new edition album. Crazy. Might have. Yeah, I might have. I don't remember. But but anyway, so so yeah, like uh whenever whenever you introduce Tool to us and and the reason I'm I'm describing all this is just because for anyone out there that's listening that hasn't actually ever spent any time listening to Tool, like I cannot urge you enough that you should. And I and I want to explain that we all came from that place of skepticism too, or at least Crabtree and I more so probably came from that place of skepticism. And it, it is far and away my favorite musical act of all time. And, and, and always will be, even if I don't listen to it for three years at a time, Yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter. It still mm-hmm. holds that place. And, and so I remember when you introduced it to me, it took me a little bit to kind of get into it. And I think I actually started with a perfect circle, which mm-hmm. shares the same lead singer Maynard um, but then I got kind of tree introduced to it and I remember it, it took a little bit, but, but tree, you started, you kind of started to replace some of that R and B listening time with mm-hmm. first perfect circle and then tool. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I started with a uh, perfect circle and, uh, I remember the moment where I actually transitioned, <laughs> uh, to tool. I was listening to APC and uh, all of a sudden, it kind of clicked where I started was I started hearing the instruments kind of like individually, but then holding them together in my mind, and then hearing Maynard's vocals like incorporated with that. Mm-hmm. I was like, it was like, oh, I kind of get it now because I I never listened to rock music where there's a lot of different instruments being played and, and stuff like that. Sure, but um, I was listening to an APC song and I'm like, man. This would sound really good if it was like maybe just a little bit harder or more aggressive. And I'm like, I think it's time for Tool now. Mm-hmm. And then immediately put that in and was like, yep, I get it now. This is great. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, it was just like no looking back. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I remember listening to like Prison Sex or starting with Undertow. Yeah. I say I think that was the big one for both of you guys. You guys yeah. love prison sex. Like <laughs> that's the title of a song, by the way, on the album Undertow. Oh, it is. However, 
to quickly interject, I would I would also like to add that for the first three years that I listened to Tool, I just had copies of burned CDs, right? So I didn't actually have the real albums. I didn't know. I, so I knew what album titles were. I didn't know track names. I didn't know what the lyrics were. I didn't know who the band members were. I didn't know what they looked like. None of it. Like, And my point with that is that it is just the music that is so good. Like, none of it is the image. None of it is the message. None of it is the edginess or the anything. Anything. It's just it's the it, music. It really like, it's so like, good. It, it is great as a whole, and you appreciate it as a whole, and you really love it. But if you really want to dissect it and start peeling back layers, like, they are there. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. what's super cool about it. They're like Easter eggs. Yeah. It's like, holy crap, this is an amazing reference, or this is a really cool tie-in to something that I had no idea before. I was listening to this song and this album for, like, a decade before I realized that this, like, small, hidden, like, sound was here that I'd never heard before. Like, mm-hmm. there was a long period, and, and this was after a lot of listening to these albums where I was still finding things where I was like, holy crap, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, that's yeah. so weird. That's so bizarre, and... Yeah. Well, and the thing that's so like one of my favorite things about Tool is, you know, we complain or, or lament that we haven't had an album in so long because we're such fans that we want more content. But at the same time, Tool has managed to establish a really unique relationship with its fans where they've basically said, like, you just have to trust us. And we've said, OK. And they've never let us down ever. ever. And so it's like if this is what you if this is what you thought you needed was this long to make it, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I don't even care if you weren't working on it the whole time and just yeah. started last year and right. decided, okay, well now we're ready. Right. That's fine because the albums are also very different because there is large gaps of time. Now the first two albums come out within like one or two years of each other, opiate and undertow. Right. Yeah. But then Anima is another, I think three or four years after that. Right. And then lateralist is four years. Right. And then, uh, Ten thousand days is five years, yeah, and then now it's thirteen yeah, it years. Keeps getting yeah. longer, right? Uh, the uh, gaps between the the albums are interesting because you can definitely hear the change in progression uh, over time because they've given so much time to I don't know you know um, think of things differently maybe or you know grow individually, yeah. and that translates into their music. Yeah, 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 for sure. It seems like. Every time that they create something, they're creating it from the current perspective that they have, and that's where they draw their inspiration from. Not trying to recreate something that they that they drew success from. Because Undertow was a double platinum, so they already established a good fan base from that. But they weren't trying to like, now we have a product that we're going to try and sell, so we need to keep maintaining that product in order to maintain an audience. Which I would argue is much more the story of like Nine Inch Nails, yeah, no, I agree. like or and a lot of their contemporaries, like Corn. I mean, now Corn yeah. oh, is cha- well, post for that. I mean, actually, Corn has changed their sound really dramatically over time. It's just always gotten more and more poppy and commercial sounding, <laughs> but it has changed. Like their first album is actually not a bad. Rock album or no, whatever. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think all of us at some point were. I know I was eating. Not me. Not you. Yeah, I can't <laughs> say that I was a corn fan like that. Like I, I was. I loved the first album. I loved it. Yeah. Oh no, that's not true. I was a corn fan in high school when I liked Nickelback and stuff. I was like, then I was into whatever was current. At yeah, this yeah, point, I do finger. like the first album. Okay. But I can't just vouch for it because there's a lot of really cheesy no, I, elements. No, it's so. 
yeah. it. But it's that same, it's that idea that like Nine Inch Nails still kind of promotes and that Korn still promotes. I think Korn just came out with a new album and I think it is called something like Daddy Issues or something. Oh, <laughs> something oh. that still is reminiscent of the fact really? that they have issues and they're still trying to work through those issues. Dog, you're in your 50s. Exactly. And it's like they've all been self-promoting the idea that the music is therapeutic and it's like when you're here it sucks <laughs> well we watch you're this still regurgitating the same things that you've gone through like you haven't grown as a person well there's the blood into wine documentary where maynard that's about maynard's the lead singer of tool again his uh vineyard or whatever where he makes the wine and he says in that someone asks there's some statement about like the music being different and, and whatever and he's like yeah if if we were saying the same things, then that would mean that we aren't growing and we're not getting anything out of it. So, of course, it moves on and it goes yeah. somewhere else. And we're not saying the same stuff because... Right. That, <laughs> what? Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's, well, not, it, it, it's not who it, people are. I don't know if it was ever meant to be something that was just like, I have a specific emotional problem in my life and I'm just like, it was always like... What's the underlying issue? What's my perspective? I need to write about that. About where I'm at in my life. It was totally like it's seemingly in any way introspective. And this is kind of this is far fetched, so I'll I'll give it that. But to me, at least the first four albums represent kind of the process of maturity. So like mm-hmm. I look at it like opiate is about being angry at like someone else. Right. And then undertow is kind of like taking that anger and like pointing it inwards and being like, okay, well I, I'm not so like, that's a step of maturity. Like I'm not blaming everyone else anymore. Now I'm mad internally cause I have to change me. Right. But then like anima is kind of like learning to let go of that anger and like, yes, it is you that changes, but like it's not just through destroying yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's still also not the path. Right. And then lateralist is kind of like, like, you've come out of the cocoon and now it's just like connected to the universe in a different way than you were when you were just mad at everyone in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like now 10,000 days, it it doesn't, I don't in listening to that, it doesn't feel like it really follows another step in that necessarily. So, but, but yeah, again, I think that's kind of far fetched, but for me that those four albums have represented that to me for a very long time. No, I I completely agree with that. Yeah. And it definitely seems super prevalent on that with like undertow because undertow is really dark, (laughs) (laughs) but not dark in a way that's like gimmicky or meant to be self intentionally like, I want to fuck you like an animal nine inch nails reference right. there. Like where it's like, you're trying to be kind of dark and edgy for the sake of being edgy. Cause you're trying to promote something that you feel like you feel that's an issue that you're trying to promote. Right. Where 
maybe the reason that they keep regurgitating the same material, like Nine Inch Nails and Corn keep doing that, is because they're not really looking introspectively on how to change their perspective and what do I actually do to make my life better, not just how do I find a way to express this? Oh, I found it through music, and that's a very therapeutic, instantaneous gratification, self-expression, and then after it's done, I still have that because it wasn't actually something fulfilling. It was just more of like a release of endorphins, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, that was so great. But I still have the issues because I haven't really addressed those. I just found a way to like a punching bag. Yeah, I know? think that that's one of those things that's like people always think like, oh, well, if – like if you just give yourself the music, then like all of your problems go away. Like there's this one stop solution for being a human, and it's like there's not. Like yeah. I don't care what, I don't care if you're Michael Jordan and play basketball at the highest level ever. Like I'm sure there is some catharsis from that, and there is like some benefit to excelling at something at that level. But that dude still has other shit to figure out. Like you know what I mean? Because he's still a person, and the and so does everyone, and every so. So, yeah, but I think that those guys try and, like like you're saying, yeah, sell this image of, like, oh, I'm pain, so I have to sell my art. And then it, it's like, y yeah, but, like, you could still go to a therapist or, like, yeah. get a coffee yeah, or, or, like, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with writing a song and making it an emotional connection. Surely that's, you know, sold for decades and centuries. Uh, personally probably, love it. You know? Love it. Yeah, Emotionally I mean, connect with music almost exclusively. are almost exclusively about that. Um, you know, I mean, every country pop star that's out there now has that ability to write a romantic song about them and their loved one that they just broke up with and that's a number one hit. Like, that's obviously something that you can do, but these guys are kind of more in the vein of, like, maybe Pink Floyd, where they're actually constructing it as a narrative and a story that they're telling, and they're expressing themselves through that story and that narrative, not just like, here's an opportunity for me to put down on paper what I'm going through at this moment exactly. Again, punching bag reference, and then just put it out there, and then like, yeah, but you're just going to have to go back to the punching bag five minutes from now because you haven't actually addressed the issue and where you're at in this, and yeah. maybe that's not your goal, but you're going to keep regurgitating the same punching bag material because that's what you're doing with it, you know? And nothing against those people that do that. I'm not dishing on, like, corner Nine Inch Nails because they have their own fan base. I just personally don't find that interesting because it seems like it's repetitive, redundant. And it's very open to uh, interpretation. Um, and I like how they don't really come out and say exactly, you know, what they were thinking or meaning when they created the song. And they allow, you know, that listener, the engagement and uh, being able to piece it together however they, they might see it working for them. And then that kind of helps establish that connection to songs and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's why earlier I brought up, you know, that I, again, for the first three years, didn't know, didn't know track names, didn't know lyrics, didn't know. Yeah, what he was even singing about. Didn't, yeah, didn't yeah, know any of right. it. Right. Yeah. Didn't know didn't any know of it. Didn't know that for years. Well, I remember when I told you that, you know, earlier we brought up the, the song Prison Sex. Um, and and I remember telling you, were like, so you've been listening to Tool? After you'd first introduced it to me. And I was like, yeah. Um, there's, I was like, the third track or whatever is is super good. I think it's track three. Maybe it's two. two. Okay. It's sober as three, isn't it? Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <Quiz> anyway. <I. laughs> Second track on the album, I would have said. Um I was like, yeah, like whenever, you know, I don't know if I just kind of need a little like boost in the day or something, like I'll put that in and like, I don't know, just kind of like 
picks me up a little bit. Like, not that it's like a, not that I ever thought that it felt like a really uplifting song as much as there's just like, there's an energy to the yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of like was like, yeah, I get a little momentum out of it. And then you were like, do you know what that song is called? And I was like, <laughs> oh, uh-uh. And then, yeah, you were like prison sex. And I was like, oh, and you're like, do you know what this line says? Which is she had blood and cum on my hands, <laughs> and I was like, "No." And then you were like, "Yeah, you should still." I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't like it. I love that song, but yeah. I wouldn't probably describe it as a song that like picks you up when you're down or something. Well, you know? and the whole album is like that. Like, it's not a reference of like, "Hey, pick me up." Yeah. I remember uh, a buddy of mine's dad actually really got into Tool. And he was older at the time. He was like 50s, but he was an old 70s rocker. And he like got into it. He's like, man, these guys are awesome. I love them. And I remember giving him undertow, and he was just like, man, that is dark, heavy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it is, but you can listen to it on a very surface level and still get a lot of enjoyment because it's meant to be listened to at a lot of different layers, like an onion, like. You can put it on and just listen to it and have no affinity and no connection to the lyrics whatsoever yep. and still get complete satisfaction. That was me for the first three years. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't know that it was called Prison Sex until I actually like went through and looked at the liner notes and stuff like that. But I was just listening to it on repeat in my room, so I didn't know. You right. Know? But And that song in particular is such a good representation of what the album in itself represents because yeah. it is about self-internal pain and self-internal reflection and maybe not liking what you see when you look inside right. and being honest about that and saying like i need to do things well like to, to i don't know if you, be honest with myself if you've listened to the extended they have like an extended cut of it that they played live that i found on youtube before and uh the extended lyrics are i have become my terror and you my precious lamb and martyr so right. it's like right it's right. that it speaks to that whole cycle of like you be, being the problem like even if there was a problem that someone else inflicted you still have to not be the problem you know what i mean yeah. and again that's why i say it kind of represents this like you know psychological maturity that i think a person goes through is it you know and not that I've like mastered that or, or something. I'm sure yeah. I'm still in that, and probably we all are forever to some extent. Sure. You know, circumstance to circumstance. But I also like uh, Flood a lot. Thank Man, you. Flood is great. Mm. I mean, uh, just so good. Yeah, being able to, I guess, you know, think that you have made it to a certain degree and then realize that you're completely wrong and being able to admit that. Yeah. Uh, in order to like move forward, yeah. so flood yeah, yeah. for people who haven't heard it is kind of a, and I'm not I, I can't cite the lyrics specifically, so I won't won't attempt to. But it's basically the idea that like you're on a a place of ground, and then the flood comes and washes everything away, and then you now have to scramble. And so in the song, he talks about thinking like thought I was safe, thought I had made it to a, a place that I didn't have to worry about this happening, and then it it does. And that's what I was going to say earlier when you – I'm really glad that you brought that song up because when you said that Undertow is like the whole album isn't really a pick-me-up thing. And it's like it's it's not. That's accurate. But, you know, I I assume other people have this experience, but it could be that I'm just a fuck-up. Um, <laughs> but, like, things will be going well and then something happens yeah. that's typically the result of a decision I made. Yeah. 
that was a poor choice that led to an outcome that I do not like or is leading to outcomes I don't like. And I always go to flood when that happens, yeah, when it's yeah. like, oh, I'm getting smacked in the face with a truth now. Right. Well, I mean, it can be something as, as simple and, and as literal as my living situation is great. Uh, oh, no, you know, my car broke down or how am I going to deal with that? You know, yeah. I'm not as safe and secure as I thought I was going to be. Yeah, right. Um, but also mentally, you know, coming to like an understanding and a worldview, like this is how I see the the world. I'm going to interpret it this way. Um, but then still being able to be like, well, actually, that wasn't quite quite right. You yeah. know, reevaluating that and being able to change again. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, you know, unfortunately, people get locked into their opinion or worldview after maybe they've questioned a little bit and they're like, that's it. I'm done. This is how I do it. This mm-hmm. is how I think about it. Right. And it's like, no, nah, you can still, you know, be wrong sometimes. And- yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 it basically ties into something I talked about on a previous episode, which is the concept that perception dictates reality. And, you know, tool is actually the, no pun intended, the tool, the utensil, the medium by which I kind of, came to know that, you know, like it was in the context of my, my dad had passed away and I had to deal with that. But tool was the vehicle that I used to learn that lesson Good. that helped me deal with that situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So many lessons. Yeah. 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 And so, and, and flood encapsulates that idea. I mean, 46 and two, certainly <laughs> probably even more so, but, right, right. um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I just, I love it. I love mm-hmm. it so much. There's so much comfort in just being like, oh, like someone else knew this exact same thing and and made a really badass song about it, actually, that I like dope. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> thank <Exactly>. you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that that becomes the thing that's their, his greatest strength as a singer and as and telling the narrative is that he's trying to like engage you on a on a specific moment that we probably all share and his way of working through a particular issue, not just here's the issue. Here's the things I don't like about it. Here's what's happening. And here's the, mm-hmm. the surface values of the issue. And then that's it. And that's what's being described here. Cause largely those things could probably be related to you by a large audience, but to have somebody actually kind of guide you through steps of perception, like, yeah, I think I could probably speak for all three of us in saying that we get a huge amount of life lessons from Tool. Like, and and it's a it's a constant like back and forth. Like, um, you may have a connection to Flood, right, and then go on, and years later, you know, you start connecting to other songs, but yeah. then then come back to Flood, yeah. at a certain specific moment yeah. years later, right, and be like, wow, this is still relevant. This right. is still capturing what I'm feeling right at this moment. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's... It, the thing about Tool that's always been, uh, like, a crazy mark of my fandom and, and uh, like, evidence for me as to why I feel really confident in saying that, like, this is my favorite musical performance <laughs> or whatever you would call it. Because it's, it's not just the band. It's just all of it. The whole thing that they are. And it's that... Not maybe not every single track because there are some tracks that are just like weird, like electricity noises and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, like ions at the end of Lateralus, you know. Yeah, but right. 
so I wouldn't count that. But any of the like songs actually have all at one point or another been the thing. Like the way I listen to music is I play games and shit a lot, and so I will put music on while I play the game. And and there's always a song that I am hooked to, and that's always where I start my play session. So I I start hit that song, and then the album just plays from there, and then you know loops back to the beginning and goes through whatever. And and every song on those albums, on every album at one point or another, has been that starting point for me. Yeah, been yeah. the one that I'm hooked to. Yeah, yes. Definitely. Where you're like, oh, I think this is my favorite track on the album. Yeah, yeah. 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 I still have a hard time picking a favorite one. Can't. Each time that I find one that I'm like just latched onto it and hooked onto, I'm like, oh, this is it. Yeah, because I've, I've been drawn to it at separate moments throughout yeah. my life at right. different times. Like, it's exactly. like, this has been the go-to song for like a month while I'm feeling this way. Right. And then all of a sudden I'll get a connection to another song Yeah, and then that's it. And it's like, right. how do you pick one? I don't know. They're all, they're all real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it seems like you always have that like definitive moment for, I don't know, some kind of just self-identifying moment. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, this is the, this is the one. This is the one. This is my favorite. <laughs> this is my possession. And then it's completely like thrown off your feet. It's like, nah, I just like all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really can't just, and that's, that is my opening argument for anybody that's like, really, favorite band is Tool. And I was like, can you name another band, any other band in the history of music that every single song that they've made is good? Because every single Tool song is good. Every single one. Yes. There is not a single bad song. Even you can't Sober. Say that about Rolling Stones. You can't say that about the Beatles. Like, all of those really famous bands have crappy albums that people are like, yeah, we don't really listen to those. Like, Tool doesn't have that. Yeah. Tool doesn't produce stuff like that. No. They're not just going in the studio and just going in on a whim. I'm like, let's see what we get. Like, they go through meticulous, obvious years of process where they will rehearse, write, rewrite, rewrite, rewrite until they're actually ready to produce it. And it's going to be meticulous, detailed, and exactly what they want. May not be well received. You know, they have no idea, but you can guarantee that it'll be 100% what they want. Oh, yeah. And I've heard them talk about a lot about... Um being uh, being able to go through the music and help themselves through the music and if like if it's not helping them or they're not happy with it then it's definitely not going to connect or help anybody else yeah so almost right. having that you know well I mean it's selfish but in a good way uh, towards art is uh, you know I gotta have it this way because uh, that's that's it you know, that's well the, the beauty of art is the individual's expression and it's like the only way you get that is if the individual commits to being themselves, but if they commit to trying to do what they think someone else wants, then they're not giving you their individual self, which is the whole point of it right. being right. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what's touched, fascinating. We had touched on it on our previous episode, but uh, we were talking about a book called How to Fly a Horse, which talks about the people that are misconstrued as being prodigies that they never actually put work into their craft. They were just gifted with talent and they just produced really well, like Picasso or Mozart or Beethoven, like good examples. But actually, the history shows that they actually did a lot of trial and error and a lot of meticulous work. No digging, no doing ridiculous steps. And it's like, because to produce really good quality work that you want to feel comfortable with, you have to go to that level. Like, otherwise, you're going to be at some point cutting corners just for the sake of pushing out content and it will show that that's to some listener somewhere or to some viewer it'll show that that wasn't really put together in a well-constructed way Uh and I think 
that for me personally is what I look for in almost every single form of entertainment, whether it's movies or yeah. books or music. Like Tool has always been kind of like defining model for like that's awesome, and I want to find other things that this band has done that I mean, other things that do it that exact yeah. same way. Like finding an author that creates. Yeah, you know, a book like Tool creates music. Yeah, yeah, that's the no compromise. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah, I would say like Dave Chappelle is like the Tool of comedy. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I yeah, largely agree. statement that every song is the favorite at some point well then that also naturally means that every album has been the favorite at some point right right <laughs> so yeah. yep. Yep. so i the first album i listened to was undertow um and so i guess that would have been my favorite at the beginning mm-hmm. and then i would say pretty quickly though my favorite was anima Mm-hmm. But anyway, again, it, so and then it, and then and then it probably moved to lateralist and then opiate, which is the first one, and and then ten thousand days was was much later. Um, but anyway, I I'm just curious. Again, as I just illustrated, it's fluid. It's all of them actually. So there isn't really a winner or a loser. It's all mm-hmm. great. Um, but I'm curious right now as we sit here. What would you say when you think about it as your favorite Tool album, and you know why? Like what Crabtree? What do you think? Uh, I went through a similar, similar, I guess, progression like you did. Undertow was first. Anima. I think I went probably Opiate before Lateralist. Okay. Um, then Ten Thousand Days. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can pick a a favorite album. Um, I want to say the one that. Definitely, I go to when I I want to reflect more, and maybe put me in like a more artistic state. Uh, I'll I'll go for lateralist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to, I don't know, get me more um, thought provoking and, and more possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of like that, but then. Um, you know, if I'm looking for just some really good energy and, um, I might just go for opiate. I mean, it's, it's all depending on like what I'm looking for at that moment. I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. What about you, Mish? Do you have, do you, do you have an album that you would think is your, your, and again, again, we're not saying um, that the others don't count. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's on. Okay. My least favorite is probably Ladderless and not. Not that means really? absolutely like 
<laughs> Folks, I just want no, you to understand that I literally tensed up. <laughs> when he said that I actually tensed up. And it has so. nothing to do with any of the song. Like, again, every song. Really? The grudge made, isn't good enough? Every single song that they've ever made <laughs> is amazing. I love them all equally. I really do. But my specific taste in an album construction is that I don't really like albums that bounce around in mood and and different levels of energy that well. Uh, I So Anima kind of starts off pretty heavy with Stink Fist. And then it kind of maintains that same sound, even though the dip, all of the songs sound different. It still kind of maintains that same level of sound throughout the entire album. Mm, yeah. So I really like the uniformity. And at that album, for me, is probably why I like it. My favorite is because that was the album that I got introduced to. And I like the amount of experimentation that went on from Anima, from Undertow. Because those are a huge leaps, I think. And you could arguably say that Anima has a huge leap from Lateralis, or Lateralis is a huge leap between Anima. But the only thing that is weird and kind of um, disorienting for me in Lateralis is that I always get disoriented in the way that the tracks flow in Lateralis. I love all the songs, but the way it like picks up and starts with momentum with like the grudge, and then it kind of like slows down a little bit, and there's like some kind of weird interludes. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of gets heavy again, and it gets a little bit softer. Like because it changes that dynamic so much, that's why I don't. I like mm-hmm. it the least. But it has nothing to do with any of the songs. Like they're all amazing. So two things I would say. Like I think that I think that the point you just made is really interesting about the the more consistent sound. I hadn't really considered that before, but I think that it's fair that an opiate song from the album Opiate sounds like opiate. And an undertow song sounds like an undertow song, and an anima song sounds like an anima song. Mm-hmm. And anima is definitely like just they've just matured as musicians, people, artists, everything through those three albums. So you know, uh, undertow is is in some ways a precursor to anima, and then opiate to it, right? But I think lateralist. I think you're right. I think lateralist is where you see a break in that consistent sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of think that that's really, I think it's necessary. And again, I know you're not attacking it, but I think it's necessary to not be nine inch nails and to not be primus and to not be the same act for 30 years. Like you have to change in a different direction. And the other thing is that happens in that span of time is that for the first three albums, well, the first two and a half opiate undertow, and then like parts of Anima. Paul Diamore, the bassist. Yeah. He gets replaced by Justin Chancellor, who writes the other half of Anima, and I don't know if it's exactly 50-50, but whatever. Yeah. But then is is exclusively the bassist for Lateralis. And so then and there's some really experimental bass shit that goes on in (laughs) with him. Yeah. So there's also that shift as the band makeup just changes, you know. Right, right. And then one other thing, I've never actually really I don't know if I've done this. I mean, I might have back in like 2007 when I learned of this, but I've heard that you are actually supposed to listen to Lateralist in like the Fibonacci sequence, yeah. which is so you don't listen to the tracks in one, two, three, four in the order they are on the album. It's like, I don't know what the sequence is, but whatever that sequence is. So you end up, have you ever done that? Yeah. So is one, it three, five, seven, nine, or no, one, one, three, five, 
seven because you add the numbers one one three five eight. Yeah, yeah. So you go in like that order. Okay. I don't know if you're supposed to repeat one. See, I thought it was already written in the Fibonacci sequence. Oh. Well, Lateralis was written. The song was written. Oh. Fibonacci okay. sequence. Yeah. But that the album itself. Yeah, yeah. So I guess no. I, I never actually went through that process of listening to it. Um, so track and three, and then track sequence. five, and then whatever. Yeah, yeah. I always just uh, listen to it the same way I listen to all that. Well, and with I just put it on track one and just boom, let's just right. Go. Yeah. Like, I never well, and it, it it doesn't really. It kind of seems weird if that's true because like parable and parabola. Yeah, yeah. Like those clearly. Lead in so if that if there's a division there that would yeah. be strange because they on the album just fade into one another so right. right right so you have to use one as an intro to the end yeah I mean you don't have to but it's very it's just very clear that they intentionally set it up that way so if you're not supposed to listen to this order then why would you know yeah so who knows that yeah. and to be clear that you're supposed to listen to it in yeah. this order is not something that I ever read in an interview with the band or heard them say. It's just some shit on it's the internet. It's just a bunch of yeah. theories. Just a like, bunch of tool stoners or something that are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's so many like different theories that have been brought up of like connections that people make in music that their music specifically that Maynard has just openly said in like interviews like yeah they're just rock songs man like, <laughs> don't look too much into it. And yeah, that, you know he, I think he's oversimplifying it, but it's just because it's like you can make a lot of things here that. Maybe we're intentional, maybe unintentional, but it's your experience. Like you don't need to necessarily yeah. tell me what I wrote. I wrote it for my own intention, and yeah. whatever you get out of it is what you get out of it. Right, right. It's just and another love song. Yeah, right, right, it's just right, another right. love song. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's that the, hilarious. <laughs> that's one of the Maynard said that in a concert one time before playing a song, which. To be clear, is not a love song. I think it was Stink Fist. Uh, yeah, it might. I think it is actually. I think you're right. Actually, yeah. Wow. Which is about desensitization. So, anyway, um, so I, to to share my own favorite album. So I actually uh, would say that my favorite album is Ten Thousand Days. Yeah. Um, which it was not when it came out because, as I said earlier, and we talked about it, the albums don't sound the same. So. When you listen to Anima and then you go to Lateralus, it doesn't sound like the same. I mean, it sounds like the same band, but it 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 doesn't. Not in the same way that you get from like one Tupac album to the next, which I love yeah. Tupac. Right. Right? Right, right. So it's not that if you do that, you suck. It's just in the experience of Tool, it is not like that. Right. Even a perfect circle sounds more the same from yeah. album to album. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It's a more consistent, just general theme. For sure. Um. But so, yeah, so for me, I would say it's 10,000 Days, which is their their most recent album, 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, so when it came out, I didn't really like it that well. And I, but I, I continued listening to it because that's the other thing about Tool. And I honestly think this is true of almost sometimes any really innovative but good art. And it's all subjective. Mm-hmm. But for me, what I, you know, I find something like that. Sometimes I kind of rejected it first because oh, yeah. it doesn't yeah. fit into the box that I yeah. wanted immediately. Yeah. But then but then there's something about it that where it's like but I don't hate it. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. It happened with me with uh, the newest APC album. Oh. I mean, when it yep. first came out I was like I mean, I want to like it. It's APC, but man, this is different. <laughs> but there was just something there that kept drawing me to it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. 
I just kind of let let the album play through a bunch of times. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it got to the point where I was like, yeah, I need to listen to this right now. I knew songs. I started like you know going through and starting on different songs, and it was like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what my initial reluctance was but maybe it's just yeah because it's so different and getting used to it and it's yeah definitely because um, the first time that i got introduced to a new tool album like i was a fan and then i was awaiting like its release was lateralis and that came out in high school so mm-hmm. coming off of anima which is still relatively heavy but has some prog rocky experimental stuff where they experiment with time lengths and they experiment into like different psychedelic elements and metaphysical elements like I kind of was expecting that, but the first thing they released was Schism, and it's like, that is a complete departure from everything on Anima. Like, it doesn't start off the same, it's not really heavy, like, it's led by a bass line, and it's like, I don't know, it was super weird to me to hear that, because mm. it was like, I was expecting Anima, because I didn't know that they were, like, progressing as a band. I had no idea, yeah. like, what to expect of them growing. So yeah, my initial reaction was like, I don't know, I don't think I like this like at all. Like, and you heard that right, a find lot. a song, and I was like, I like this song, so I'll listen to this song. And then like later, I'd go back and listen to Schism again, and ended up playing it like four or five times, <laughs> and be like, Yeah, this is actually amazing. Yeah. I actually really love this. <laughs> but yeah, you hear that a lot when like you just kind of bring up Tool in conversation with someone who isn't maybe quite there like we are. But yeah. I mean, right. yeah, like oh, I liked him up until Lateralist or. Man, 10,000 Days was just kind of like, meh. Yeah. And you hear that yeah. a lot about 10,000 Days. Oh, my and, God. It's so weird yeah. to meet someone who, like, doesn't like a specific, like, eh, it's pretty good. I don't really like Hanuma, though. It's like, yeah. well, how can you even <laughs> d- differentiate? Are you even a fan? What are you talking I can't talk to you. I can't talk to you right now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so with 10,000 Days, like, for me, what where I've ultimately landed is that I just, and, and again, I love literally every other thing they've done, too, but... For me, it's it's kind of just their masterpiece, and and I hope that this new album that's supposed to come out even surpasses that because that'll be awesome. Um, and the reason I say that is that again, like I think there's this kind of obvious progression from like obvious isn't fair. There's a progression from opiate to undertow to anima to lateralist, but I think that the gaps, the the leaps or the jumps that they're making get bigger between each one like opiate is a a six track ep and then the jump from it to undertow is not that significant but then from undertow to anima is a pretty big leap you know 46 and 2 is nowhere on undertow there's nothing like that you know what i mean right right um but then like lateralist is way different than anima like (laughs) like you well because you get like what are those? There's the last three songs, like starting with Lateralus, and then I don't, I can't now, I can't remember the name of the, the uh, two that come after it. Uh, Lateralus, Reflection. Reflection. No, uh, there's one before Triad. I think it comes before Ion. Oh, so yeah, yeah. yeah. but like because those three kind of make one long song, yeah. right? And like that, their Anima does not have that. Yeah. Like <laughs> right, right. right. And so then you get to t- so it's it's still this constant like like chasing their their potential almost, and then ten thousand days was almost like, and they do to be clear they still do chase the potential and it still does go places that is nowhere else like, Jambi the pot Rosetta yeah. Stone 
right. wildly different. Yeah, yeah. You know, Wings for Marie is different, but maybe you could tie it to like, well, that kind of is like some of the stuff in Lateralist, you know what I mean? But yeah, right. Um, but anyway, so Ten Thousand Days is is still progressing progression for them, but it also like harkens back to the beginning. Yeah, and it yeah. has this like slightly heavier. It's not angrier. So I, again, it's not really hostility or aggression or, or a negative emotion as much as it's just force, for lack of a better term. I don't mean Star it Wars. Seemed, uh, like, <laughs> it seemed like they had a lot of fun making that type of music when they initially started, because that's what they wanted to make. Yeah. And after they went through like years of experimentation, they're like. I really do like this sound, and like we're old enough, we've got this perspective. Right. Let's just write things and see what comes out. And because it's a part of their personality, they're like, let's just do it. Like, yeah. It sounds great. I love it. Right. I don't really care if it's not going in some other di- different direction. Like, let's just make the music that you want to make speak for itself. So, right. I immediately thought, like, wow, this sounds like that. Well, it's Yes. Because it blends those two elements. Yes. Yes. And yeah, I just, I just, I absolutely love it. And again, that doesn't in any way diminish my love for the others. And they all, to what, you know, I think, Tree, or maybe both of you said earlier, that there's different, there's different moods and different moments that call for different tool lessons, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) like, whenever I fuck up and, and think I might be destroying my life, I need to listen to... Uh, undertow and maybe you know and if I think maybe someone else is stepping on the toes like I'm going to opiate and listen to jerk off and hush and yeah. you know like you don't censor me yeah. and you know right but then like but then maybe once I'm like like okay now I have to deal with it and actually move forward like well now I'm going to hit up Smonima and do 46 and 2 and be like this is what the process is like it's fine you know and then when I want to feel more artistic or euphoric or or feel like I'm a exploring what it is to be a person like maybe I want to listen to Lateralist you know and then when I just want all of it I'm just I go to 10,000 days because it's just like right into a nice little buffet you've made here for me kind of broken down all the different albums and what we what we like our our favorites and all that but but the other thing that's really cool about tool is that and misha hinted at this earlier when he said that it's like an onion and and what he means by that is that it it has so many layers so you know we talk about it being like it's really well made it's really high quality and all that's true 
and it's this really progressive and like innovative music and all of that's true, but it it still has a poppy element to it. It mm-hmm. still yeah. gets played on the radio. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's still approachable and consumable. It's not math rock. Yeah. It's not that level of just like let's make the most crazy complex music. But it it almost kind of is still because if you to the onion metaphor if you peel it back far enough, you can find that. Yeah. Like Danny yeah. Carey uses sacred geometry to set up his drum set right. every show. Yeah. But you don't have to know that. And it doesn't, it only enhances the experience for you to know that if you care. Right. And right. if you don't care, it doesn't matter. And it's not diminished by you not knowing right. about right. that or caring. Or like the lyrics in Lateralis. He writes the lyrics in the Fibonacci sequence. So it goes red, then black in. So it actually is one, one, two, three, five. So it does go through the entire sequence and he writes his lyrics that way. So that follows that sequence. You wouldn't know that because it's just you're listening to lyrics. But if you care to look into that, then it's like, wow, that's super cool that you actually took the sequence and wrote it that way. Like, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. (laughs) So, yeah. So I'll, uh, I know what mine is, and it might be the same as yours, so it might be a not as good, not as robust of a topic. But for for you guys, what was the first song? And I will start with you, Grabtree. What was the first song that you you dove into and peeled those onion layers away? Do you remember? Um, or maybe the one that stands out the most. If you can't remember the first, I mean. I'll just I won't go in. I don't want to hear your answer, but for me it's forty six and two. That's the one that I yeah. peeled back first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <clears throat> yeah, forty six and two, uh, because of the shadow um interest me. I don't know what triggered that uh dive into the internet rabbit hole of right. oh, what does he mean by shadow or forty six and two or you know, and trying to like piece that together. Um I think that was definitely the first. And then, you know, kind of understanding the concept of the shadow and uh, the subconscious or whatever. I mean... Yeah, you want to explain it for what um, they were referencing? Well, basically the shadow being the part of the uh, the subconscious of where, you know, you might say, are you a nice person? And everyone's be like, yeah, sure. You know, I want to be perceived as a nice person. But uh, we also have the capability of being a mean person. Right, so that being like the shadow side that we don't necessarily portray to to everyone, so everyone is capable of that, and uh, being able to understand that and potentially embrace it uh, in order to move through and uh, progress in evolution. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Forty six and two being like the next step in evolution. We have like forty four and two chromosomes. Right. So then. 46 and 2 would be the next step. Right, right. Through moving through the shadow. I don't right. know if I, I just kind of rambled, rambled through that. I don't was know. Was that no, an exclusive right. theory from Carl Jung? Was that I, I don't know if it was exclusive. Yeah, yeah. I, For I, me, I thought it was his idea. That I believe shadow, it is. The shadow is, is Jung. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah I, I know for me, I, it was that I just, I, I was really hooked on the song, but I was hooked on the song prior to knowing what, the song titles were and all of what the lyrics were, but you can clearly hear him say 46 and two just ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is like, how do you write a song where you say 46 and two? Cause what does that mean? Like, 
Just yeah. not even like I, I, I didn't even know that it would be interesting. It was just like what would prompt a person to write that? And so then I just Googled it and started doing – started looking. And then, yeah, that it was what led me at least to finding the 44 and 2 chromosomes and the, that being the next step. But then, yeah, the shadow references in the song being a reference to the Jungian philosophy and uh, our take on psychology or whatever. So you, Misha? Uh, oh, yeah, no, same. Um, because I think it wasn't really until that point when you guys actually started looking at that that I did realize that there were layers there. Oh. Because I, I, so I started listening to Tool when I was like 14. And so by the time I gave it to you guys, like, I guess it's stupid of me to say that it was like six years later, probably, <laughs> and I still didn't know no, any of no. those things. I and, mean, that's the beauty of it. That's the point. That's the whole reason I'm explaining all of this is because yeah. there are those layers but they're not necessary. So the right. point is, is you don't have to be the level of fan that we are right. in order for this to trust me, add value. Like it's yeah. so good. And that's honestly like, what's so amazing about my relationship with you guys is that I do have that ability to talk openly about how crazy obsessed I am with this <laughs> band. You guys are like, totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> totally get it. And it's like, Oh, that's amazing. Like I don't yeah. have to internalize I don't have to ramble at someone that's like, uh-huh. I'm like, where are you going? Where are you going back here? I wasn't done talking about the tool. Like, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> how, di- how disappointing is it like when you bring up tool and someone's like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of like them. Or you're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. Like, that- that's it? That's oh, my it. God. <laughs> yeah. I've had people walk away and just be like, I don't care about tool that much. So and I'm like, how do you not? What are you talking about? Where are you going? Seriously, get back here. Yeah, it's, that's literally happened to me before. I'm like, yeah, I guess I do kind of go off the rails a little bit. But yeah. you know, you can get me going. Like, it is an onion that you yeah. can feel back. It's not yeah. just like they're dope. They have some cool tracks. Yeah, like I could probably use those you know words to describe a lot of bands that I do like because it's they're good. But I don't have a lot to say. But and on with tool, like, how long are we been talking now? Like, right. Yeah. I don't even know because yeah. we can just keep going. And uh, and on the other hand, like if you do meet someone new who is there with it. Then immediately you're just on, oh, that, on yeah. that same level, like oh, oh yeah, this 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 right. Song. Oh yep, get it. Yeah, you know. yeah. Or they have like a completely different direction they took away yeah. from it, and it's like wow, you got that from that? Huh? That's crazy. I was yeah. coming from this angle. You're coming from this yeah, angle. Yeah. And- mm-hmm. I can see it now, though. You know, yeah, it's like yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that, that's why I want I wanted to bring up the the onion thing and, and the how it did when you peel back the layers, you do get into like I brought up sacred geometry was something that I had no idea existed yeah. until I started looking into it. Right. Until I looked into it, I didn't know that Carl Jung was a person. I'd heard of Freud. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But had no idea that any of that was out there, that it was nope. a theory or anything or a thought or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, Which led down our own rabbit hole. Of, right. Like I think all three of us looked at Jungian philosophy. Yeah. Like, yeah. wow, this guy's yeah. got some cool ideas. Yeah. You know? And then, and then like also with, uh, with, I don't know if, if he was involved before, but I know he did the 10,000 days cover art, but Alex gray, yeah. who is a, yeah. a painter, right. does some incredible artwork. I mean, it's some of the yeah. most I've uh, similar to tool and I've never heard anything like it. I've never seen anything that even kind of approaches what Alex gray does in his artwork. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he and embodies kind of their philosophy and like is able to like physically portray that. On yes, yeah. and it's like it's just insane. Like wow, yeah, yeah that's yeah. absolutely cool. Right if there. you guys have not heard of Alex Gray, you can look at his work online, and it is 
I mean, it takes two minutes to go yeah. to the website to Google Alex Gray art and look at it. And trust me, it's super cool. Mm-hmm. Like it's we we have or we well, I say we Crabtree and I used to be roommates, and when we lived together, he had a uh, a big giant you know almost took up a whole wall poster that was. That is the tool cover, but the same picture as the tool cover for 10,000 Days, the album art. But it's an Alex Gray painting. And yeah, we just, so when you walk in our front room, you just see this giant wall that's basically just an Alex Gray painting, <laughs> but also right. says 10,000 Days on it because right. we got it at a tool concert. I say we, he. <laughs> that's how possessive I am. I'm like Gollum with the one ring and anything tool merch related. Like, I give my hand that. That's fine. Yeah, well, I uh, I would say one other thing that I'd like to cover briefly is at least is the the concert experience. So the oh, first yeah. time we ever saw them live, at least as far as I know, was two thousand six, and then we went again in ten, we get in sixteen, and now we're going to go again in nineteen. I have not been to a lot of other concerts, so it's actually kind of unfair for me to be like, oh, it's the best concert ever because I don't have any experience. So yeah. f me, um, but. It's almost like a religious experience. Like yeah. I literally cry every time. And when I say cry, I don't like sob and like, you know, wail. <laughs> but my eyes water and I because yeah. I feel so overwhelmed by just like emotion because yeah. it's so it's powerful. Like complete euphoria. Like yes. it is just like absolute bliss. Yeah. Like it's just wonderful. Yeah. Sounds amazing. The stage setup is amazing. Everything is just kind of like executing on like a hundred percent wavelength and level. And it just feels amazing to be there in that environment. And they really go to great lengths to put on a good show. Not just, I mean, as the band and as a musical performance, they do, but outside of that, because they play in giant sold out arenas. So you can't, it's not like, it's not like you're in a bar and you can really see them that well, if you're not right up there. So they then go through all these great lengths to have this crazy stage production Right. With screens behind them that have who knows what right. wild imagery, uh, <laughs> yeah, laser like light shows right. going on, yeah. the floor panels in yeah. 06. I oh, remember it man, more distinctly so now. Great. Yes. Oh, <laughs> so satisfying. <laughs> so Because they don't dude. like move around. They're no. all very stationary. They take playing their instruments very seriously. Justin just sits like, down now on a chair yeah, while right. he plays. <laughs> the one we saw him in 16. Yeah, right. <laughs> so... There's a lot of like extra elements that Adam and the rest of them go to to great lengths to make it a visual amazing experience yes. to encompass their their work. Yes. And one thing that I read not too long ago was with Danny the drummer and a lot of bands will play with a click track or a guide track. A guide track being like the track that they're going to play, played at a low volume, they may have it in like their headphones or something. So they can keep tempo with it because the tendency when you play live is that you may actually speed it up. So it may sound faster live than it did when you saw a show or if you ever saw a show and all the musicians were just completely off and it just kind of sounded clunky and not like the album, you know, like Tool does an amazing job of making it sound like the album, but live. And the way that they do that is Danny was like, we don't even play with the click track. That's how good they are at playing their instruments. They don't use a guide track and they don't play the click track. They are just that in sync with each other because they've been playing for so long. They can just go out there and just nail it. It's like that is 
ridiculously tough to do. Yeah. Some of the best musicians in the world have trouble doing that. So yeah. it's a very huge testament to their skills. I was shocked when I when I read that. I was like, how the fuck can you possibly not do that? Because that's yeah. it's crazy. It's an industry standard. It's like, yeah, right. give them a click and give them a guide and let them you know, play to that. You know, yeah, nope. I'm constantly amazed by like how it's everything I want it to be all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. No, yeah, like, the, the last show where they just they open with the no quarter, and I'm like, yeah, oh, oh my god, so you. <laughs> I have done a disservice to no. Tool fans, and we might seem like we're not real Tool fans. We did not mention Salival, which is not an album of new Tool songs in the way that the other five are, but it is a live album, and it does feature covers. It has some of live versions of their own songs, but it also features covers that are not otherwise on any album, and those covers are incredible, namely... No Quarter, the Led Zeppelin song. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. The Led Zeppelin version is like seven minutes. Tool version, 11 minutes. And it's 11 minutes of amazing. Yeah. And what Crabtree was saying is in 16, they opened the show with No Quarter, and it was astonishing. Yeah. yeah. And I was yeah. Like, to be able to hear that live. Like, it was just like, oh. Because I didn't think they would ever. Because yeah, it's well, not a popular the, the album only track. Other time, I mean, I was obviously super happy to see any of the songs live. But Crazy. the only other time that I saw them do something to that caliber that I was like, oh my God, was when they played Intolerance. Because that's one of my favorite songs on Undertow. It might be my favorite song on Undertow. And the fact that they played that, because they never play anything from Opiate or Undertow, the fact that they played that, it was like, oh my God. (laughs) Well, except the last time we saw them in 16, they did play Sweat and Opiate. They played both of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... To see them play those things live uh, was just amazing because they largely do play like from the middle of their catalog forward. Yeah. Know? And mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, thank you so much for giving me this experience. Yeah. I may have just missed my window forever hearing those songs. I'll never hear 40 degrees. Like, I'll never hear that. I want to hear that song. Take some bitches. Oh, man. <laughs> <gasps> yeah. I was feeling so good. I just wanted to do it one. Yeah, just one time. Last, before the show's <laughs> over, just do take some. He screams super loud. So he's over. And he said, like, I can't do that song very often or, you know, really at all because he will just scream himself worse. And he does. He's old, mid-50s, so he does a very good job of taking care of his vocal cords because he knows, like, that's how he's Maybe two or three months. Yeah, right. So he has to, he speaks very softly and does all kinds of vocal cords. Yeah, he, so yeah, I will say that if you're, so if you're not a Tool fan, you should listen to them soon, today. Uh, if you are a Tool fan and you've not ever been to a concert, you are completely missing out on an amazing, amazing experience. Like, I cannot stress enough how cool it is. And again, most people we know are not the level of Tool fan that we are. So you don't have to be basically like a Britney Spears 16-year-old girl, which is what we are in the, <laughs> in the context. You don't have to be that. Like, I throw my underwear at the stage. Not a requirement. Not a requirement. Um but yeah, and uh, you know, something else that I I would say is that we've talked about Maynard quite a bit because he's the lead singer, and so he's the one that most people are most familiar with, and just like in most bands, um, he's amazing because the lyrics are are really really good and interesting and thought provoking. But he also does a wide variety of vocal 
styles in the lyrics, so you don't, you know, it, it's not just one sound from a, from song to song, from album to album, anything. You get such a variety, and then and then the other band members they'll all contribute that same level of quality. So you just get this really really great collaboration between well, what, four people. Yeah, what I was talking about, we were talking about off mic before we actually started doing the show was the way that they do the recording process is. Danny, the drummer, Justin, the bass player, Adam, the guitar player, will all be in an old apartment that they have. Uh, right now, I can't remember it. But anyway, like they just go there and then they just jam for months at a time until they come up with things that they like, and then they will start writing that down in the process of what they actually want to do the music for the songs. And then they will record studio time, and they will all go in individually. So Danny will do his drums first. Justin will do his bass and then Adam will do his guitars on top of that and then after all of that is done Maynard may like pop his head in every once in a while to like check in on the process maybe see what direction they're going but largely like he contributes his part of it like last like on top of everything so and that's not like because they don't get along or there's some kind of weird animosity or anything it's just like they trust each other and they're such a tight unit of individuals that it's just kind of like I wouldn't say a job, but they come in and clock in and clock out. But they know that. They're like, yeah, maybe it'll be here tomorrow, and he'll be here for a couple weeks, and he'll do his vocals, and that'll be it. Maynard's going to come in, and I hope he's going to do a good job, because if not, we got a lot of writing on this. Like, they don't. They know he's going to do a great job. He knows that Danny and Justin and Adam are all going to do a good job. There's no, like, I don't know if you're really going for the style that I want to go for. They may butt heads collaboratively, but really, like, there's a lot of trust there. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. Let's just collaborate and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I would invite anyone also to look on YouTube for uh, live video of, like, there's, there's like, over-the-shoulder cams of Danny Carey playing drums live in a show. Or, yeah, or there's ones just, there's, like, one where he goes to some guy's shop where this guy has, like, a really, really, like, fancy, nice drum set and, and like, lets Danny play on it. And I mean, it it looks like Danny Carey getting the drummer. It looks like he is running. <laughs> like, no, I mean, he doesn't move. Not that he's, he physically, literally looks like he's running, but he his face looks like the face of someone who is exerting themselves at the maximum capacity that they can. Like he is hitting <laughs> so many drums so quickly, but not it not just for the sake of like. Oh, I hit a whole bunch and it's badass because it's fast yeah. drumming. Yeah, yeah. Like it sounds incredible, and it, it, but it it's a it's impressive to watch. Yeah. Like yeah. It it's not him fine. just like flicking his wrist and like you know doing some simple line on a snare or something. Right. Like it's <laughs> my brother largely doesn't like Tool, and I'm like clicking the ability to Like people <laughs> that don't even like Tool for whatever bizarre reason that happened, not liking Tool, will largely just be like, yeah, but Jimmy carries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that I can continue talking about Tool for another three hours if we wanted to. Maybe we do, but uh, it's probably time to get some lunch or something here. So. Yeah. Part two. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, again, guys, if you're not listening to Tool, you need to. If you are listening to Tool and you're not seeing them live, you need to. If you're not listening to Tool, you should start, and then and then you immediately find yourself in the camp of needing to go see them. So either way, you should be going to Tool shows.
that is going to do it for today's show. Thank you again so much for tuning in. And thank you, Misha and Chris, both for joining the show. Um, obviously, we are huge Tool fans and, and can't recommend that you check it out enough. If you've got any comments or questions, you are always welcome to email me at walker at the walkshowpodcast.com. You can also check me out on Twitter at the Walk Show Pod. Also, you can visit our website anytime at which is www.thewalkshowpodcast.com. Again, that is thewalkshowpodcast.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a good one.